when Benjamin um, was about five years old, we were riding to church building <coughs> in Ukraine. Riding, he's he's riding. We were walking. Uh, he's riding his bike, and uh, we used to play I Spy, um, and as we'd go. And, and uh, one one time he was, uh, we, we were we were going, and he said, uh, "I spy something purple." And so we were looking around for something purple. There was nothing purple, and uh, and so so like. What, what is it? He says, it's the tree over there. There's nothing purple about the tree. I said, why did you say something purple? He's like, that was just to make it hard. <laughs> um, so if you came in and saw the marquee and, and you're awaiting a different sermon, uh, it's, it's, I just put the sermon title up there to make it hard. So uh, the, the sermon's different from, from the one I planned. And the reason, there's a reason for it. Um, I had kind of had an idea and uh, the, I, I do have this belief that, that the scripture is applicable to us, that, that, uh, that any situation that, that we have, that there's an idea, a concept, an example that, that tells us how to get to where we're, we're trying to figure this stuff out. I don't think God left anything out. And uh, I had an idea that I wanted to teach. It's kind of going along with this sermon. I originally planned a four-week Thing and I had another concept, but I was having difficulty um, finding an illustration for it. So I went and uh, planned my fourth sermon, uh, wanting this other one. And, and then Katie uh, this week kind of gave me uh, this, this. She's like, "Well, what about this one?" And I was like, "Ah, duh, how, how did I forget that one?" Uh, so Friday or Thursday night, I, I wrote this sermon. I got done about three in the morning, so this, the marquee was already done, and then we went camping, so it's there. So you, you know what we're preaching on next week. <laughs> Doing this a little bit backwards in that um, typically I give the, the person that we're going to be looking at as we're talking about sincere, I mean, people who've been incorrect sincerely, but, but incorrect. And then we go through the ways and the motives and, and various things. But I, but I want to talk about, um, and then get to the person, because this has kind of been a reverse-engineered sermon all the way get through the whole thing. But it's a different idea, and you're going to wonder about it. And that is a person, we're going to talk about a person who lies. A person who's dishonest. And, and you say right, right away that that's kind of throws up a red flag, because how can a person who lies be sincere? The, the fact is, is that their information is wrong. Right? We've been talking about people who are wrong. For whatever reason, Apollos was wrong, but he didn't have the ability to know he was wrong, and various ones like that. And, but, but this is a person whose information is wrong, and they know it. How in the world can you possibly be sincere when you do that? Um, that is, to us, dishonest. And so, uh, But again, I have this idea. And and uh, and I want to illustrate this a little bit with as I googled this. This is just my my uh, Google searches here. I uh, I googled lying for the right reason. Uh, this is what I found. This is the page I I pulled up. The first the first entry. Here are times when experts say it might be better to lie. Honesty is not always the best policy. Here are five scenarios when lying might be the best course of action, according to experts. So if we needed evidence that we have too many experts in the world, here it is. Right? We are dying the death of experts. Um, 
I didn't open, well, I did open this page. I, that's a lie because it's purple, isn't it? So I, I did open that page. I don't remember opening that page. Now, that is by, um, by the way, that's by Time uh, magazine or Time Life, whatever. I don't know if they're still a magazine. Here's my next search. It's on the same page. I, did, I, I remember this. We're going to get to this one. This is by Harvard Business Review. When is it okay to tell a well-meaning lie? Uh, and they, they have a checklist of how you know when it's okay to tell a lie. Right? Well-meaning lies. So I, I fine-tuned my search. I'm like, this is not what, uh, what I'm looking for. Because um, I, I was looking for a biblical example. I thought I'd pull up some biblical examples. So I had to add the word Bible to it. And then I pulled up tons of uh, people. But, but here was the problem also. Um, what I tuned up, uh, what, I, what I found when I, when I, when I added this, I, 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 I found sincere lies. People in the Bible who, who tell sincere lies. And, and um, there were some common biblical examples which really turned into rationalizations when you, you think about it. Uh, and there were three common ones. Rahab, uh, the midwives of Egypt, um, and Elisha. Let me go through these really, really quickly. Uh, Rahab uh, sent in, in Hebrews talks about commends her in Hebrews 11 as a as a woman of faith. She 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 accepted the spies into Jericho and she sent them out by another way. Remember, she lied. She said, "Oh no, they went that direction and they really didn't. They were still hiding." Well, that's that's hard because the Bible commends her for it. Is, is lying okay? See, and, and so so. The, the, the internet and, and churches everywhere are filled and there's preachers using this. We're going to get to that in just a second. The midwives. The midwives. The Bible says God blessed them directly. And we remember the story of the midwives. They were supposed to kill the, the children. And, and they said, <clears throat> you know, uh, when they weren't killing the male children, uh, they said, you know, the, the, the Hebrew women are very strong and, and they get into labor before we can get there. You know, and, and so uh, and, and so they're having these babies, and, oh, we can, yeah. and God blessed them and gave them nice houses and things for doing this. The Bible specifically says that. Like oh, that's kind of hard. I mean, the, the, it seems like the Bible's kind of condoning lies. I mean, what's the deal here? Uh, and Elisha, Elisha was an interesting one. Uh, Elisha, uh, there was uh, I forget which king it was was sent down people to arrest him. And uh, he was at Dothan, and, and they were on their way down. And, and uh, he goes out. He goes out to meet them, uh, and they're, they're, we've come to arrest Elisha. Can you tell us where he is? And he struck. He struck him with blindness. And then he tells them, "This is not the city, and this is not the way. But but come with me, and I'll show you the one you're looking for." Again, like. This is this is tricky. I mean, this is not the city. I mean, it's it's Dothan, and 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 they had been coming to Dothan, and and that's the right way, and 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 he was right there, and it seems like he's lying to them. Uh, but uh, uh, that really wasn't what I was looking for. None of these, prove, first of all, none of these prove the premise. Uh, Rahab was not commended, first of all, for her deception. She was commended for helping the spies. Specifically, Hebrews does not say anything about her life. She's not a Jewish woman at the point in time. She was not. She ends up marrying one of David's ancestors, but she knew nothing of the law. And uh, and she's only commended for helping. She's not commended for lying. That's first of all. Uh, second of all, 
neither the midwives or Elisha actually lied. Um, it is quite possible, and it's quite plausible, that because of the extreme labor that, that they were, the Jews were put under, that they gave birth at earlier than nine months. I'll give you an example. My, my wife um, was sick and tired of being pregnant. And, uh, and I forget which, I think it was uh, Adelaide, and she was just tired of, of being pregnant. And uh, so my, uh, my in-laws had an apartment across the street from their house not that they rented out, but it, they had a, vacant, uh, a vacancy. So she went over and ripped up the carpet. And Adelaide was born that night. Hey, it, it, difficult labor. <laughs> It speeds up the process a little bit. So, so this is not necessarily a lie. Right? The, the midwives may just have waited a little bit. Uh, and and um, Elisha was not lying. He was not in Dothan. He went outside of Dothan. This is not the city, number one. Number two, this is not the way. God has a different way for you. Uh, it's going to be through this other place over here. And I am going to show you Elisha. You didn't say it was him right there. But he is going to show him Elisha. just going to take a little bit. God, when we talk about life, so, so these weren't really the people I was looking for. But all these are used to justify lying. And we're going to get to, the, to a point here of, of, of the sincere lies. These were people that were sincere, but they, they weren't lying. And the one that was lying is not commended for the lying. So I want to look at Genesis 27, and we are going to find a a person who clearly is being dishonest, but we want to get into the motives in Genesis 27, beginning in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am. He said, Isaac, uh, Isaac said, I am now old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then, go get your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. And Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back. And Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I can give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So, my son, listen carefully. Do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so he can give you his bl- the blessing before he dies. And Jacob said to, his Rebecca, to Rebecca, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man. I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I will appear to be tricking him. That's the word lying for anybody. That, that's, we, we soften it up with words, nicer words, right? Uh, I will be lying to him. 
And I would bring a curse on myself rather than blessing. And his mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So, I want to look at this illustration. Now, we can't do with this what we do with with what we look at some of these here. We, We can't even find a technical truth in here. Well, she wasn't technically lying. If she wasn't technically lying, she wouldn't have invited the curse on herself. She knew there's a curse for what she does. And she gets it, by the way. After this, Jacob will be forced to flee and she will die. And she will never see her son again for this action. She gets a little bit of a curse. So the only remaining question is to address whether Rebecca was sincere or not. And so I want to look at the idea of love as a motive. We talked about Mary with her bias. Is this a similar thing with Mary? Well, the Bible does say that, that Jacob was her favorite. And that, I think, plays a role in here. But I think we're going to look at something different here. I want to talk about love as a motive for a lie. I want to go back to that article uh, that was talking about the experts. I'm going to read a couple of things from, from this article here. Um, so so the, there was three things to know when, when it's good to lie, according to Harvard Business. It says, number one, can you safely assume that most people would be better off with the outcome associated wa- with lying rather than the truth? Well, if not, then tell the truth. Let me rephrase that. The decision whether to lie is really not unlike the decision to have a dealer hit you uh, at the blackjack table. Like, is it more likely to get over 21 or not? Right? So that's kind of the same thing. Am I more likely to have a good outcome or not? So you might want to lie. Uh, and so, um, so is there a reasonable likelihood of a short-term gain? Second, according to Harvard, do you know whether the person with whom you are talking prefers comfort over candor? So it's okay to lie if you think that the person that you will lie to actually wants you to lie. So if two people then agree on something unethical, it's okay. Okay. And thirdly, are you confident that the target of the lie knows that you are looking out for their best interest? If not, any attempt to justify the lie may be ineffective. So in other words, if the person you're lying to is too dense to get it, don't do it. Now, I want you to notice with this last one that Harvard Law acknowledges that there is an intrinsic immorality to lying because they qualify this statement by saying any attempt to justify the lie will be ineffective. In other words, they acknowledge it needs to be justified. You only have to justify things that are incorrect and by definition in violation. Justification is a legal term. And you only justify things that are not correct. So even in telling you when it's good to lie, they are telling you it's not good to lie. can't get away from it. So there's some greater benefit to another. It's okay. Accomplishing a noble goal. 
Let's talk about that. Was this done for her son? Yes. We could blame this on bias, but I believe that this is not the same type of favoritism that Mary shows. I think there's a scripture that illustrates something of noble character in Rebecca. More noble than simply, this is my favorite son. And um, Genesis 25:23 says, The Lord said to her, this is when she's pregnant, Two nations are in your womb. Two people from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. I want to look at Rebecca for a second. She has been given a directive from God. She has been informed by God directly that the younger one is supposed to be preeminent. And what does Rebecca see? The problem is not Rebecca's favoritism. The problem is Isaac's favoritism. Isaac, like the man the man. And Isaac is bound and determined to do an end around around God and give the blessing to the wrong son. And she says, I am going to make sure that the right one, because I have been told by God what's supposed to happen. So, I don't believe this is just Mary like, or uh, Rebecca likes one better. I think she's got a very noble, spiritual motive. She's sincere. She's wrong. She's being deceitful. But she's sincere. Is it acceptable? That's the question. Is it a satisfactory motive? Well, let us rank the possible motives for any lie. There's three. You can rank them all. So we'll begin with number three, personal motives. This is where 98% of all lies are. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to get something out of it. Right? I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get a this. I'm going to lie on my resume. I'm going to do whatever it is. There's something I can gain from it personally. This is where almost all lies are told. Either to avoid something negative or to get something positive for me personally. That is the lowest. And, and I think we recognize, and I think even Harvard Law and time would recognize that those are not good. Maybe. Two would be what we would call humanitarian reasons. People would lie for this. This is like the second most common. We, we would lie for uh, the most common example, and I, I had this with a, a preacher in the Church of Christ, actually. Would it be okay to lie to save Jews in Nazi Germany? That's a standard one. Because that, that draws us... I'm, I, I know it's like the third week I've used a Nazi illustration. That's, that's not by design. But, but that was a conversation we had. And I was like, like, that one comes up all the time. Some type of humanitarian thing. Well, it would be better for that because there's a, a noble goal. But what would be the most important one is the one Rebecca is, is that there is a spiritual directly 
some type of motive directly connected to God that would lead us to want to accomplish something, and so I will lie. That, and this is where we find Rebecca. So, so we, we don't have to argue too much about the second and third one. If we can figure out the first one. I mean, if we can find out that it's not acceptable to do the first one, well, that kind of answers the question for anything down the line, doesn't it? So let's look at this one, this spiritual motive. And we need to talk about the absoluteness of truth. John wrote First John 2.21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because that you know it. And no lie is of the truth. How many lies are of the truth? None. God is truth. And so if no lie is of the truth, no lie is of God. No lie has God as its author. God's kingdom cannot be divided against itself. Jesus wrote that. Remember this, this great argument. He cast out demons by Satan and he said, how can I do that? Then my kingdom is divided against itself. I've, I've, I've resorted to something evil to try to accomplish something that, that I should accomplish. And Jesus said, I can't do that. God cannot accomplish something no matter how hard he wants to accomplish it through a motive in which he must deny his nature. This is confirmed by Paul. Romans 3, 4 through 8. This is a little bit, this is, and it's kind of like in the middle of a text, but we'll go through it and then kind of summarize it. Let God be true, even if everyone else were a liar, as it is written, so that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. The idea is of Christ's and God's judgment and his righteousness of his judgment. If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to punish us? I speak in a human way, of course, or human logic. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, then why would I still be condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil so that good could come? As some people slanderously charge us as saying, and their condemnation is just. Let me back up and kind of summarize this. So he says... um, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. Right? And he goes through and gives a couple of illustrations. In other words, if, if I was using something that's deceitful or, or somehow an error or a lie to somehow prove God or to uh, share the gospel, even if, if the thing I'm doing is going to accomplish something good. If I was going to bring the message of God and, and people were going to come to church or whatever, but the, the means through which I did it was dishonest, 
Some people would say the ends justifies the means. This is, he's arguing the ends justifies the means here. He's saying, well, then why would God judge me harshly for that if that's acceptable? But he says, no, I'm still condemned as a sinner. And then why wouldn't I just rationally conclude that we can do evil so that good can happen across the boards? And the conclusion is obviously God cannot accept dishonesty for a most noble of motive. And I, I, I don't think we have an epidemic of lying here. Just, just like, what in the world are you preaching about? We're going to get to a point. Uh, I think it's very important because, I'm, as like I say, I'm, I'm sitting here with a Church of Christ preacher who I've known for a long time, having this discussion and he's using these arguments and say, well, well, it's all this relative stuff. Truth is relative. No, truth is absolute. And God is absolute. It's very important that we understand that. And so, I want to back up for just a second and rectify this dilemma of deceitful love and, and how that's okay. First of all, I want to talk about misidentified love. When people characterize love as an okay reason to be deceitful, typically what they've done, they've misprioritized a little bit. Real, true, genuine love prioritizes the spiritual good over the physical benefit. There's a physical benefit. But what about the spiritual? That's much more important. And I've gotten rid of that, really. That's not a possible outcome. And second, um, back up here. I have really waited the short term. But true love waits and places the emphasis on the long-term good. I, I've said, well, this is good in the short term. What about these people in these situations right now? Okay, what about your soul for an eternity? How do you balance one against the other? How do we even put those in the same equation and come out with this person in this awful situation is more important than my eternal separation from God? How can I do that moral equivalence? And so, so deceitful love misprior or misidentifies the definition of love. The second thing it does is it misprioritizes love. Matthew 22 says, He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, the greater supersedes the lesser, Right? The greater love is my attraction to God. But when we say, well, love should be allowed to bend the rules, break the rules, what I've said is that second definition of love takes precedence over the first one. No, God placed them in a specific order for a specific reason. 
And that is this. Love of others benefits in some way or other. Sometimes physical, sometimes spiritual. But my love of others is there to benefit them. Right? But my love for God is to create holiness, which is much more important. That's why we prioritize it that way. Well, my love for others can't make me holy. It benefits. My God, this is vital. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and the greatest commandment. And there is a false choice. I want to talk about, since we were on the subject, what would you do if you were asked to hide Jewish people during a Holocaust or, or some other situation, some scenario, some fit, you know, and those situations occurred? What would you do? And the, the false choice is this, that you, you either have to tell the truth or, or be responsible for killing people. But that's a false choice. By what I mean by a false choice is it only allows two options. So, so when people want to get a particular outcome, what they do is they structure the argument to give you two choices, one that you don't like but one that you like worse, and so that you take the one that's less. But they ignore third and fourth options. This is what Johnson. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Love, first of all, is not contradictory to truth. They both accomplish the same things. But what he's saying here is it really identifies that there is another option, and that is to uh, place ourselves in a vulnerable situation. Let's look at this. I could be silent. I didn't say, well... German, the Gestapo comes to your door and says, are you hiding them? I can say, no, that's the lie. Maybe they leave. I could be silent. Now, maybe they find them, maybe they don't. Now, if I'm silent, I place myself in jeopardy, don't I? Now, if I tell them the truth, I also placed myself in jeopardy, too, because I just assisted and that tended to get people killed. But that's neither here nor there. I could tell them the truth and let God deal with it. Those are options. I'm not saying they're good options. I'm just saying they're options. There are other things in the scenario that haven't been allowed. We've made a false choice. But John identifies something. Why does John write this? What, what is this here for? Because we have this statement that we look at, and it really doesn't have much practical application in our life because we've eliminated, through our logic, 
the need to ever sacrifice personally. Let me back up and explain that. He says, perfect love is this, that one man lay down his life for the brethren. We understand that with Jesus, but when have I ever been tasked with laying down my life for the brethren? What is the situation in which I've ever been asked to do that? I've never had that scenario where it's like I had to think about, am I going to die if I do this? Like, I've never had that. I don't know if anyone here has. Maybe you have. What situation would possibly occur where you would do that? Where you would be asked, there's a potential in this situation where you would have to die for another person. Well, in 1943 in Germany, that might be one. Where you had to say, I'm not going to lie. But telling the truth is going to kill someone. I'm placing myself at jeopardy here. These are real situations for which John wrote and said, listen, there comes a point in time. Because long before the Holocaust, it was Christians hiding from the Romans. It's kind of a thing that repeats itself. You might be tasked at some point in time with placing yourself in jeopardy. But if we, by our logic, if if being deceitful is okay to save our skin, then we never find a situation in which I have to sacrifice my own personal safety. And then why in the world would John ever write this? doesn't make sense. Why would John address a situation that can simply be done by, by lying? For a sincere reason. As I said, I don't think we have an epidemic of liars here. I don't. So what is all this driving at? What what am I trying to accomplish? We live in a world that is sacrificing every day moral stability. They are finding more and more ways to get around ethical absolutes. And churches are finding more and more ways to accommodate this. We do not have churches being too strict about absolute truth. That's not a problem in our world today. We have a problem with churches trying to be too nice and trying to find a way to bend. God says you can't bend it without breaking it. Truth is absolute. And, and the only way we can offer stability to our world, our world craves stability and, and craves and needs, even if they don't know what it is, but they need, our world is in such a mess. It's because they have no moral compass. We have to leave here and present absolute, 
unerring moral compass to people unashamed unafraid of the repercussions because there's not too many other people out there doing it churches are running away from moral absolutes churches of Christ are running away from moral absolutes we have to offer something of stability to the world that is losing it so that we don't have an epidemic of it we're going to conclude with that okay